has a revelation of how amazing God is towards him, but he says, I can't attain it. It's too wonderful. It's too high. You see, it's a revel- revelation is great, but that's not a goal. Activation and demonstration is the goal. The goal is not revelation. That's just an invitation to encounter. But he's saying it's too high. It's w- too wonderful. I can't attain it. And then, he, and then he continues to sort of, wow, if I go into the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the dark places, there you are. If I say darkness will overwhelm me, the dark and the light are the same to you. In other words, it doesn't mean good and evil are the same. It means that no matter how dark it is around you, how difficult it is for you, he is undiminished in his nature towards you. Darkness or difficulties or bad days or cannot diminish his goodness towards you. So he's, but he did say in that verse 6, he said, it's too wonderful, it's too high, I can't attain it. But then something changes. Suddenly, in verse 13, the focus changes from God to himself. He says, wait a minute, you form my inward parts. Wait a minute, you made me while you weaved me in my mother's womb. Wow, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I rock. He says, wonderful are your works. My soul now knows it very well. So you don't get it just because of how amazing he is. You don't get it until you find out how amazing he is in you. <laughs> That's, I like it. That's some good preaching right there. I, you say, Morris? <laughs> so... Would you open up your, either on your smartphone or, I, I still love paper. I still, you know, there was a lot of trees that gave up its life for this book. And so I respect it. And I still have one. So if you, if you want to turn to uh, Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 5, we're going to let the Holy Spirit just do us a, an extreme makeover. You ready? You ready for the extreme makeover? <laughs> okay. Fantastic. All right, in Mark chapter 5, here we have the story of Jesus and his disciples, um, and they um, arrive in Gadara, the land of the Gerasenes, okay? And um, uh, the, the welcome wagon, the welcome committee is a se- severely demonized um, individual, in fact, this guy is so demonized, so demon-possessed, his demons have demons. I mean, it's, it's a severe case. And, and just a cursory glance or just a flyover of the story basically reveals a severely damaged individual receiving an amazing breakthrough, an amazing deliverance, an amazing transformation. And if that's all we ever see, it rocks. I mean, seriously. I mean, man, because none of us are even close to that bad. I mean, if this dude can get free, I'm no problem for the Holy Ghost. So if that's all we see, that's good. But let me tell you something. If we take a little bit of a closer look, a deeper look, it gets staggering. It gets stunning. Now, before I continue, we need to understand something about the word. The the word, there's nothing by accident in Scripture. There's nothing random. It's like, no, there's no filler statements. Okay, because God just didn't know what to say, so he threw some stuff out there. Every word has divine purpose. It's all loaded. I mean, every sentence, every context, every person. I mean, it is so rich. It is so deep. It's so powerful. So nothing is there by accident. Everything it says in, 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 I think it's Romans 15, that what was written in earlier times was written for your instruction. This was with you in mind. You're in the book. Do you get that? You're in the book. How many remember the never-ending story? Oh, my goodness. The first one. The sequel sucked. But the first one, the first one was great. I, it was fate, one of my favorites. The ever, never-ending story. For you that didn't see it, go see it later. But it's basically the story of this young kid. It's, it's kind of in England somewhere, maybe London. But he's being bullied by other kids. He runs into a store. And the, the owner of the store, it's a very kind of esoteric, unique sort of uh, you know, ambiance to it, and he gives him this book called The Never-Ending Story. And so the boy takes the book, and he kind of hides off in an attic somewhere and just to read the story, trying to navigate these bullies who are tr- always trying to pick on him. And it's a story about Fantasia. Basically, Fantasia is this amazing place that is being consumed by nothingness. 
And um, so he's reading the story, and there's, there's a few character, uh, characters in it. There's a Native American. There's a, there's a princess. I can't remember. There's this flying dog, Balfour. Is it Balfour? Yeah. Bel what? Falcor? Something like that. This was a long time ago. This is a long time ago, Falcor. And so anyway, but here's what's going on. They keep talking about, and Fantasia's getting munched up by nothingness, and they keep talking about someone else that's going to come into the story that's going to stop uh, the, the destruction of Fantasia. And as he's reading the story, suddenly he realizes they're talking about him. And then he realizes that actually they're aware that he's reading the story. See, you're in the book. You're in the story. When you see that you're in his story, you'll suddenly discover him in yours like never before. You are in the book. He taught about you when he wrote this, when he inspired this. It is so. There's no book like this book. There's no paper like this paper. You open it, it opens you. You get in it, it gets in you. What's on the page won't stay on the page. You've got to know that about this. So there's nothing by accident here. So I want to show you something. I'm going to read five verses of the story. Jesus uh, meets this demonized individual. There's this conversation, this incredible deliverance. But a portion of the story, I'm going to read five verses. And I want to see if you can identify kind of a common thread. There's sort of a, a common theme or thread in all five verses. Um, verse 9, it says, And Jesus was asking him, What is your name? And the man said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to entreat Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding there on the mountain. And the demons entreated him, saying, Send us into the pigs, the swine, so we may enter them. And he gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine. The herd rushed down the steep embankment to the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned. Now, what you'll notice in this scripture, we have a conspicuous amount of references to volume, to mass, to quantity. In five verses, we have five references to mass, and it's there by intentionality. It starts off with, what's your name? And the man responds, legion. That's a Roman military term for 6,000 soldiers. And just in case Jesus didn't notice it, the demon said, we are many. And then it says there was a herd of swine, large herd of swine. Herd, that's more than three, that's more than five, a herd of swine. But it wasn't just a herd, it was a large herd of swine. And not only that, it goes on to say that, you know, after the pigs, they rushed down, after the demons entered into the pigs, they rushed down the steep embankment, they were drowned in the sea, about 2,000 of them. Think about that. I mean, that's God, that specific number is there. God wanted us to know how many pigs were drowned. The Holy Spirit wants us to know the mass, the volume of that herd. I find it very interesting that the pigs had more dignity than the man because as soon as the pigs, as soon as the demons entered the pigs, they all wanted to get baptized. Problem was they couldn't get out. Um, anyway, so... Now, here's the point I want to make, and then we're going to unpack this, okay? Uh, we're, it took, think about it, it took 2,000 pigs to contain the demons that occupied just one man. It took 2,000 pigs to contain the demons that occupied one man. What does that say about how big you are on the inside? Or what does it suggest about the, the, the quantity or the quality of what lives below your skin? What does that suggest? A whole lot, trust me. A whole lot. Now, here is a, I'm going to share a concept, really a truth. I'm going to share a truth with you that your natural mind will typically do one of two things. Either completely reject as just crazy, too outlandish and ridiculous, or you will relegate it to the, uh, to the entertainment section of your uh, cerebral database. You know, it'll be in the category of Superman, you know, uh, Lord of the Rings, Green Lantern, Spider-Man, Iron, whatever. You know what I'm saying? That's, but let me tell you, it's, it's true nonetheless, and, and, and we're going to unpack this for a while. And um, so, uh, well, you're, you're here again, okay? So I get Mike again, okay. 
Okay, so here it is. Ready? We're going to start. With just Mike, not just him, but I'm, I'm, he's representing you as individuals, okay? Okay. Just see yourself sitting in the seat, okay? What is unseen in Mike, what is unseen in just him, has as great a capacity for God as the physical universe has for stars. Out there is how big he is in here. Yeah. Yeah, see, that's why I got, oh, yeah, right, okay. Yeah. What is unseen in your life, what is below your skin and your soul and your spirit has as great a capacity for God as the universe has for stars. And now I'm going to prove it. We're going to unpack this. We're going to unpack this. And um, I'd like to start with a, um, with a, with a, 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 a kingdom principle, but it's a universal truth. I mean, you can see this applied. It's not just being Christian or, or biblical. I mean, it's a kingdom principle, but it is a universal truth. And that is this, that the internal is causative to the external. That, um, that, um, the, 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 that the external world, okay, is a, a formation or a materializing of internal realities, I mean, Jesus said, uh, uh, tell, uh, said this in, in, in Luke 6, uh, verse 45. He said this. He said that out of a good man's heart, he brings forth that which is good. Out of an evil man's heart, he brings things forth that are evil. Good and evil that we see materialized in civil society started inside. It comes from within. Uh, we have um, uh, Proverbs 4.23. Um, that says this, it says, guard your heart, guard over your soul, guard over this, why? Because from it flows all the issues of life. Yeah, think about that. Consider it like this. Let's answer this question. Where did this physical, material universe come from? Can't, yeah, but it came not just from him, because it never existed apart from him, did it? It wasn't like it had self-existence, self-creation, and God just kind of... No, no, it came out of him. God pre-exists before the universe. This physical, material universe came out of his brilliance, came out of his character, his nature, his power, his creativity. All of it came out of him. Now think about it like this. Everything that's been developed, everything that's been manufactured on the planet since came out of man. Yeah. Absolutely. The sound equipment, the computer technology, all of it, if you trace it back, it started as an idea, as a concept, as a conversation. Ideas, creativity, partnering with, with skill, capacity, endurance, character. In other words, what came out of God was partnered with what comes out of man, and we got 21st century development and technology. How cool is that? Think about that. Every time you see this, you got to realize, man, there is a much more amazing, powerful origin. I mean, think about it. Services, products, technology, all of it. It had its origin from the inside. Where do you think economic systems come from? Political governmental systems come from? Educational systems come from? It's in here. Thought processes, communication, the inside out. Now, I want to take this another step, and then we're going to kind of reel it in and unpack it um, as, 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 as uh, specifically as possible. But I want to throw this out there kind of as, as big as it really is, and then rein it back in to kind of fill in the blanks and so you can own this thing because it's like, yeah, I can believe it's that big, but you've got to kind of see it, how it really rolls out specifically from your life. God comes to Abraham, the father of faith, right, our father of faith, and he says this to him, and it's in, it's in um, Genesis 20, uh, verse 17. He says, he says, um, I'm going to multiply your seed like the stars of heaven. That's what he said to Abraham. Now, does God know how many stars are out there? Yeah. That's what he said. He said, I'm going to multiply your, star, your seed like the stars of heaven. Now, listen, we exaggerate to make a point. It sounds like exaggeration, or it sounds like metaphor or simile, doesn't it? 
And there's metaphor and simile in Scripture. Of course there is. But that's not in this case. He's not using metaphor. Why? Because he's not, he, if he was talking about biological offspring, then yes. That would have been metaphor or hyperbole or embellishment, but he's not. He's talking about Isaac, who's the son of promise. This, this represents a corresponding quantity in our relationship with God. You see, it's a spiritual promise realized through personal capacity. And if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to to, 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 to grow this in us, then there's so much of this right here that will never go beyond revelation. It'll never go beyond amazing hope and concept because it's got to go from revelation. This, this is the activator. Revel, the goal is demonstration, okay? But, but then there's activation. There are things that activate the revelation. And for instance, um, in, um, in uh, Ephesians 3, verse 20, I know many of you know this verse. It says, he says, um, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all you ask or think, according to the power that works in you. It doesn't talk about the power. It's talking about the power in you. Now think about this. If he would have just said he's able to do all that you ask or think, that's big. Come on. Come on. If he does all you, I mean, I, I, can, I could ask for a lot. But it doesn't. And it doesn't, and then it goes, well, what about beyond all? I mean, beyond all is like, whoa, that's like even beyond my all. But then it says abundantly. Wait a minute. Abundantly beyond. Then exceedingly. See, that's the infinite character of the personal capacity related to the spiritual promise we have. That's what that is. That's the eternal, infinite capacity right there in the New Testament. But you'll never step into that with your faith if you have no idea that that's actually your design. That's how you've been created. That's actually who you are. Okay? So what I'm going to do, I know I might have lost a few of you on that one. So what we're going to do, we're going to start with one physical body, okay? Um, and then we're going to work our way in, okay? Just start with one body, and we're going to work our way in, and it's an amazing journey. It's incredibly uh, encouraging and challenging. And each one of you is so much more than just a torso and a few dozen appendages. I mean, you literally, you literally, each one of you, you are millions of cell, comp, wait, you are millions of complex parts, trillions of cells partnering together to do amazing things. Our human physiology is absolutely staggering. I mean, I mean, did you know that that one human cell has the activity and complexity of a NASA space shuttle. Just one human cell. I mean, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little experiment here. I want to take one, I'm going to borrow your cardiovascular system, your va vascular system, and I'm going to go for a walk, okay? And when you get to the other and tell me to stop. So I've just taken, you know, one of his arteries, okay? It's big enough to grab, okay? The capillaries are way too small. So I, I grab the, I, I'm, I'm going for a walk. By the time he tells me to stop, I will have circumvented the planet three times just with his vascular system. Just you, baby. If I were to get a hold of his nervous system, I would circumvent the planet seven times. If I could get a hold of his DNA code, his DNA strand, I would travel the distance to the moon over 20 times. Did you know there is more electrical circuitry in one human brain than all the computers on the planet? Yeah. And we get impressed with, with, with Apple and Give me a royal break. They are weenieville compared to the human brain. Did you know if your brain was a computer, it would be performing 38,000 trillion operations per second? Did you know the most powerful supercomputer on the planet can only do 0.005% of that? I mean, what? I mean, come on. The brilliance. Of, of our anatomy, our physiology. I mean, when you, when, when you sneeze, when Mike sneezes, get out of the way. When Mike sneezes, he generates a wind speed of a Category 3 hurricane. 
You do too. It's a miracle your head stays on your neck. Do you know that's why you can't keep your eyes, that's why your eyes closed. You know you can't sneeze with your eyes open, thankfully, because they would blow out of your face. I mean, the human anatomy is absolutely, absolutely amazing. I mean, your hand, your hand allows for 58 distinctly different motions, which makes it the most versatile instrument on the planet. Your human hand, there's nothing like the human hand. We don't even come close with science to replicating the diversity, the suppleness, the ability of the hu- just the human hand. Amazing. Absolutely is amazing. A full head of hair, which is not him, not him. Here's a full head of hair, okay? Got a, did you know we grow this out? Just his hair, just Alan. If we grow this hair out, and can make a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a short rope with it. It could hold the equivalent of 25 full-size trucks. Just one head of hair. Your, your, your nose can, can uh, uh, you know, can um, remember 50,000 different smells. Your, your eye can uh, pick up 10 million different colors and, 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 and shades. I mean, human anatomy, human physiology. We don't see the wood for the trees. We really don't. That's why I fearfully and wonderfully made, and I could give you more stats and specifics, and just, you know, just about when we're ready to be absolutely, you know, um, well, wait a minute. Not, not only human physiology, as far as how it's been created and designed, but what people have been capable of doing with their bodies, the discipline. You know what I, I mean? Uh, Fu Bingley. I saw the. I didn't. You know, I saw it. I saw the picture of it. Fu Bingley, who um, was he? Well, he's a was. He's no longer alive, but he was a Chinese martial arts master, and he did a handstand on one finger. Yeah, handstand on one finger. That he was able to develop himself. Try it. You won't do it. Nobody does it. But he did it. He was able to train himself, get his body to the point where he could do a handstand on one finger. Jack LaLanne, who was the first fitness guru, or at least the first well-known, publicized uh, fitness guru, um, health food freak kind of person. How many remember Jack LaLanne? Any older people? There's a few. Yes, the older guys. Okay. Yes, we do remember. Jack LaLanne. Well, listen, he towed 70 rowboats full of people, full of passengers, 70 rowboats, um, from the beach one mile out to the Queen Mary, Okay, his, and he was in the water swimming, okay, and, uh, okay, towing these boats full of people. His, his feet were shackled, his hands were shackled, and he was 70 years old. <laughs> yeah, wow is right, man. We get pretty wild by what people can do. How many know what an Ironman triathlon is? Oh, that's a beast, baby. Tell them, that is a beast. Two and a half miles in the ocean, 110 miles cycling, and then when you get ready, you do, an, you do a marathon. William, a guy named William Pruitt did five of those in five days on five different Hawaiian islands. <laughs> you know, I want to lay down just thinking about it. I mean, you know what I'm saying? David Blaine, a man by the name of David Blaine was encased in ice, literally, on the, his whole body encased in ice for 64 hours, and he lived to tell about it. And he lived, but yet the body goes into hypothermia between 15 and 30 minutes. So there's no doubt Human physiology, human anatomy, what people are capable of doing with their bodies are pretty amazing. But let me tell you, as soon as we go a little deeper and we get into the soul, the will, the mind, the character, and the passion, I mean, uh, the, the, the capacity uh, of the body seems insignificant. It really does. I mean, what we're capable, what we're able to produce um, because of our, our, our intellect, the rational mind, be able to conceptualize and translate that into behaviors and actions. I mean, the engineering feats. I mean, I dare you, if you've never done I dare you to try, dig into what it took to go to the moon, what it takes to survive in space. It is, I mean, you just think, hey, we could do that. No, you can't. I mean, the science behind it, the precision behind it is just almost mind-boggling that they were able to get a person on the moon. I mean, so the intellect uh, our intellectual capacities are absolutely phenomenal. And we're just scratching the surface. Tr- surface. Trust me, there's a whole lot more stuff we can carve out of raw creation. We are sc- literally scratching the surface of what the natural mind in partnership with God and natural creation uh, can carve out. 
But I, but, and I, and I, I, and I shared this, I did, did I share this in the first, sometimes I forget what I shared in the previous service. But anyway, um, but I, I saw this, I saw this myself with my own eyes, okay? So I'm not telling you a story that's been embellished. Uh, I saw it as a kid. My grandparents had a jewelry store uh, in the south side of Chicago. And, um, and they had cameras, you know, the old film strip cameras. You know, nothing digital back then. It's all in the Smithsonian now, you know. And, and so, I, so uh, it's a, and it was a camera that would just pick up things going on in the store. And, and it shows, so I saw this myself a, as a child. It shows a man walking into the store, with, and he has a gun. He pulls it on my grandmother, and he demands all the, the money in the till, the register. So my father comes out of the back storeroom, and he sees this. This man with a gun pointed at his mother, my grandmother, and he grabs her, and he takes her back and puts her in the storeroom, closes the door. And then he comes out, and he starts walking towards the guy, and he says, you get out of here. And that guy shot that gun, and that bullet went into his arm, through his arm, into his stomach, out his back, hit the wall behind him. He was completely impaled by the bullet. And I promise you, God is my witness, this has exactly happened. My father showed absolutely, he didn't blink, he didn't show one, uh, no evidence that he had just been impaled by a bullet. He just kept walking to the guy. You get out of here. You know what the guy did? He dropped his gun and he ran. It's like Superman is not just a Marvel comic book character. You know, when you shoot people, they at least should blink. Blink, ouch, you fall down, you know, do stuff. But see, there is, there is a capacity, there is something in our soul, a passion, a courage that takes our body beyond itself. Um, in 1984, Angela Carvalho, a 50-year-old grandmother, lifted a 1964 Chevy Impala off her son and saved his life. You can look it up. This is all documented. In uh, January of last year, 2016, um, a girl by the name of um, Charlotte Heffelmeyer um, lift, uh, from, from Virginia somewhere lifted a, it was a, a, in a burning garage, she lifted a truck off of her father to save his life. Now, you, you know what I'm saying? So we, we, we hear stuff like that. We realize there is our souls, our passions, our courage. Our, you know, our minds can take us beyond what seems what's physically possible. And it's wonderful. It's amazing. It's impressive. It's like, wow, what a soul. But I want to tell you, it is minuscule. Minuscule. It is a sliver of a sliver of a sliver compared to the capacity of your spirit. The, see, you're a spirit with a soul and a body. Yeah. And the enemy's always just trying to keep us camped out just in the body side or the soul side, not realizing who and what you really are. I mean, absolutely, the, the, the difference, the significance uh, needs to be, you need to pay attention to who you really are in there. You know, uh, Elijah outran a horse for 20 miles. I want to see the Jamaican Hussein Bolt do that. Come on. He outran a horse for 20 miles. I mean, most of us can, can, can think of just things that were done that no amount of willpower or physicality or anything could ever accomplish. I mean, and, and it's endless. It's absolutely endless. I was, um, I was at, in 1984, I saw this, from, I was there, I was part of it. 1984, I was in a conference in Tulsa, Oklahoma. My spiritual, uh, we were part of a movement called Maranatha. We planted churches on university campuses. That's what we planted here in 1987. And, um, and so Bob Weiner, who was the, the apostolic leader and, uh, of the movement, invited his spiritual father, Wesley Steelberg, to come to our conference because he wanted to honor him and just show him all his spiritual grandkids. Problem was, Wesley Steelberg had to be pushed around in a wheelchair, had severe heart disease, his heart. He had three triple bypasses. Uh, his heart was, uh, was enlarged twice its normal size. He was on more nitroglycerin than any person in America to keep him alive. This is all documented. It's literally all documented. You can look him up. He used to be the superintendent for the Assemblies of God Church in California. In fact, Bill Johnson and them, he was, he was the leader of Bill's father. He was Bill's father's superintendent with the Assemblies of God. Yeah, pretty cool history. 
And it's in there. You can go read the record for yourself. But I was there. I got to see it. And so the doctor said, if you go there, you'll probably die there. He thought, well, what better place to die than with my spiritual grandkids? And so I remember them wheeling him in, in a wheelchair, into the auditorium. There was a couple thousand of us there. Um, Silverwind Band was playing. Uh, the leader of Silverwind, oh, gosh, uh, um, Banoff. Georgian Banoff, before he was Georgian Banoff. He, he didn't used to be Georgian Banoff. He was just a singer um, with Silverwind, which was pretty amazing, and now he's even more amazing. Uh, but he, he was playing, actually, at that conference. And uh, so anyway, they wheel him in. They, they help him walk up the steps, and then Bob is kind of honoring him, then tries to hand him the microphone to speak, and he, and, he, and he didn't take the microphone. He couldn't speak. All he could do was point up. He couldn't get any air out. He was having a heart attack right there. He could get no air, no breath. You know, you can't speak if you can't breathe. And all he could do is point upwards toward the Lord. And Larry Tomzak, one of the speakers, uh, came up, grabbed the microphone, and says, it's time, we're going to pray. God's going to do a miracle. I'll never forget getting up on that stage with 20, 30 other leaders, putting our hands on him, and I promise, as God is my witness, God gave him a brand new heart right there, instantly, instantly a brand new heart. No, literally, completely. Brand new heart, medically confirmed. He traveled around to all our university campuses, ministering and teaching and whatnot. In fact, his wife always was, was complaining that it was like being married to a, a teenager. Um, <laughs> but, but all of us, and I could tell you story after story. My wife and I have been translated literally in our car from one place on the road to another place. You know, just the incredible capacity. Of, of spiritual reality. See, you are not natural life pursuing supernatural experiences. Get that out of your cranium. You are supernatural life being demonstrated through everything that's natural. You've got to know that. You are supernatural life. You are a miracle. Did you know that? It's easy to do miracles when you know you are one. You, did you know that? You absolutely are a miracle. Dr. Ali Benazar did an extensive study to figure out what all the things that were necessary for Andrew to exist. He did an extensive study. Everything that would have to happen, every relationship, every place, you, every, he did the study. Look it up, Dr. Ali Benazar. Everything that would have to happen for the one and only Andrew to exist. And he wanted to see what was the probability of Andrew existing without a miracle. And the probability was, I can't even say it because it's too long. It's equivalent to this. The probability that he could exist without a miracle, without divine intervention, is, is equivalent to two and a half million people all having a dice with a trillion sides. They throw the dice together and they all come up the same. In other words, it's impossible. You are a miracle. We live on a miracle every day. This earth, this is complex, abundant life spinning in a space where there's none. I could go on about Dr. Hugh Ross, and he looked at the different parameters that were necessary for life to exist on the earth to see what is the probability the earth could exist, life could exist on the earth without a miracle, without divine, the miraculous. And it was 1 um, uh, in 10 to the 80th power. No, it was 1 in 10 to the 360th power. Do you know there's only 1 in 10 to the 80th power atoms in the entire known universe? In other words, that we everything... And the enemy spends so much time diminishing, naturalizing, making small what God has made amazing and big. It's so important. Joe Clark and God you know, multiplying, uh, uh, you can tell that story later, supernaturally multiplying hamburgers. And I mean, literally, just over, all of us have different stories of that. And see, let me say it once again. Your capacity for, our capacity for God is as great as the universe's capacity for stars. It really is. Now, when you start to get that, when it starts to really land, suddenly when you go to scriptures like, say, um, Ephesians chapter 3, we were there a moment ago, so let me use that again. And say verse 19. Now, listen to it. Suddenly, it's going to make sense. Suddenly, it's going to work. It says, and that you would know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Um, yeah, that you may be filled up. There it is. Sorry. That you may be filled up to what? All the fullness of God. How is that even possible unless that's your capacity? Did you know there is a universe within? The universe of you. You are the universe of God. More than this physical universe is. God fills you. He ref the, the natural universe only reflects him. You see what I'm saying? It reflects him. We don't reflect him. We carry him. 
We bear him. Yeah. Now suddenly, things begin to make sense. It suddenly begins to work. See, we will never ask for, expect, or access a supply greater than what we believe we have capacity for. So you've got to own this. You've got to know, actually, this is my design. This is my wiring. Now, all of a sudden, like, my, and here's my favorite. My favorite verse with this point is 1 John 4, 4, which all, most of us know, but nobody knows. Most of us know it in our heads, but they don't really understand the depth and the power of it. And it says basically this. You are from God, little children, and you have overcome them because greater is he who's in you than he that's in the world. Now, when I used to read that years and years ago, I thought it meant, yeah, God's, his kindness is greater, his power is greater, his mercy is greater, his wisdom is greater. But see, that's not what that word means. That word greater is a quantitative word. It's mid-zone. It's not a qualitative word. It's about quantity. That verse literally means there's more of God in you than there is evil in the earth. That's what that means. There's more of God in Morris than there is evil in the earth. Now all of a sudden, things begin to make sense. It's like, think about it. He came to two people, two, Adam and Eve, and he said, be fruitful and multiply, fill, subdue, and rule the earth. Did God know how big the earth was? That's a whole lot of babies, man. Well, Adam, you got it in you, man. Well, think about it. We know how big the world is. He told two people to fill it. I mean, we're, you know, we don't see them freaking out. Why? Because that's their capacity in God. That's how they've been created. That's what they're made for. Amen? I mean, I mean, like I said, suddenly this thing begins to make sense. I mean, and, and one, my, my third favorite Bible character is Peter. My first is Jesus. My second is David. My third is Peter. I mean, I really love Peter because he's a verbal processor. I'm a verbal processor. We learn in front of everybody. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we get, I mean everybody gets to see our stuff. You know? I mean, I was ministering at a church. It was Roger Pierce's church, Assemblies of God Church. When I met Roger, he was in the Assemblies of God Church. It was back in 87, 88. Um, and um, I was ministering at their church. And after the service, a guy came up to me, and he was all mad about what I had said. And he said, I don't agree with anything you had to say. And I looked at him, and I said, well, that's okay, because I don't agree with everything I say either. Um, so, <laughs> so, but anyway, <laughs> but I, I do believe this. I agree with what I'm saying now. But Peter, <laughs> so this is, this is why I don't have to take back, okay? Um, Peter comes to Jesus, and he's kind of flexing spiritually. He says, Jesus, up to how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven, you know, kind of, you know, seven. You know, he's really thinking, nah, that's a lot of forgiving. And I guarantee he's talking about John. There was a relational conflict between, yeah, Peter was the 32-year-old senior disciple, but John was getting more of the stuff. Yeah, yeah. You, John was the only gospel that records all of Peter's faux pas. You know, no, they did. When they ran to the tomb, who got there first? John, and Peter didn't like it. So I'm just saying, I really believe he's talking about John. Up to how many times do I forgive this punk, you know? Up to seven times. And here's Jesus. Here's what Jesus does. Jesus says, no, well, no, how about, how about seven times 70? Now Peter's doing the math. He's doing the calculations. The brain is really going into overdrive. God, 70 times 7, that's 490. i got to forgive that punk 490 times. Okay, all right, I'm going to. But on 491, he's going into the octagon. Man, I'm going to nuke him till he glows. I'm going to pound him down. You know, do you think Jesus meant at 491 you can take him out? No, he was saying that you have the same capacity for forgiveness and redemption that I do. See, Jesus is exceptional, but he's no exception. He's the benchmark. He's the standard. He's the norm of how we have been designed to live. It's who we are. Big deal, big deal. Here's a new thought. We're closing right now. We're landing this puppy. God, here it is, ready? God only commands us to do, commands you to do what you are. See, God does everything based on true identity. Identity is the big deal. Everything he does in relation, everything he expects in relationship to us is based on our design. It starts with essence before action. You see, the Bible isn't 
just what you have. It's not what you have to do. This is who you are. And every command reflected in every command to win the world, heal the sick, you know, be powerful and amazing is literally who you are. God doesn't expect you to do and be what you're not. See, this ought to be, wow, that's me. But you think about it like this as well. If, if, you, if we are really so small, so pathetic, so insignificant, why does the enemy spend so much time pointing that out? I mean, why attack what's no threat? Because he can read. Because he can see. There's nothing in creation that has been set aside as the vehicle of his greatest glory like man. Nothing. The only way he can really attack God, God's fullness, is by attacking us because we're the only thing in the universe that has been designed to be a vehicle for it all. And you got Colossians 1. Colossians 1.27, what does it say? I think it was Colossians 1.18. It might be, it's one or the other. It's good. It says this. It says, Christ in Mike is the hope of glory. It doesn't say Christ is the hope of glory. you got to understand that. Christ in you is the hope of glory. In this earthly dimension, this horizontal realm, Jesus is not the hope of glory. Jesus and you. Jesus in you is the hope of glory. That's why the enemy spends so much time trying to define you by a mistake, a weak season, a bad day, what other people have said about you, always going after identity, giving you a counterfeit picture of who? God and yourself. And you can spend all the time you want gazing into how glorious it is, but if you don't understand that the package is equally glorious, the vehicle made in his image, and today we have so much fear that's so constricting, and, and we have little spurts, little moments of, wow, that's cool. But we have not come close to the level of value and brilliance and power and glory from his nature that he's chosen only one vehicle to bring it through you. There's so much. It's so rich. We all have testimonies, but, I mean, we are just scratching the surface of how much there is. Why? Because we have, we allowing the inferiority, the insecurity, or the fear, or the intimidation, or self-rejection, which shuts down the well from flowing. He says, those who believe in me from their innermost, from your inner, the innermost being shall flow rivers, rivers, rivers. Not river, rivers of living water, speaking of the Holy Spirit that's given to you who believe. That's from here. That's who you are. What I want to do as we close, because it's time to close. Or am I, no, I think we're going we're gonna to open. Because you know, we're opening some wells. Man, the caps, the stifling, the restriction. The enemy is controlling us with lies. And yes, they feel real because you can feel it. And he gives you enough information. He runs enough stuff behind, but before you, and then he stirs up emotions, but it's not you. It's not who you are. When, you're, when you are born again, guess what? You are see, Jesus, Paul said, you are seated in the heavenly places in Christ. That's not hyperbole. That's not exaggeration. That's where you are seated. That's your position. And it says, ministering spirits, angels of great power and authority are there to render service to you. And the only reason we don't step into it and accept because we don't know. We're believing the lie. We're acting according to the influence of that bad feeling or that bad situation. And it's a lie. So with every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Just this last final moment. You have been created by glory. You've been created for glory. You have been created by power, God's power. You are created for God's power. No moments, no difficulties, no bad seasons, no mistakes. Nothing can change the most fundamental reality. That you are seated in the heavenly places in Christ. That on earth as it is in heaven literally means in you, on you, through you. As it is in heaven. That is the benchmark. That's the standard. It's not what you have to be. It's what you already are. You don't get this when you get spiritually mature. You get this when you get Jesus. That's when it starts. That's where it flows from. And if you're in here today, 
And you know that you have to battle that. In fact, you know, I mean, we all have to battle the enemy. It's not about that, but it's about are you making decisions? Are you acting in a way that is giving those lies, those fears, more, more room to operate? Are your actions and behaviors actually lining up with that negative situation the enemy is amplifying? Or are you acting according to your true design, a child of God, a child of the King, full of life, a vessel of his glory for salvation, deliverance, healing, wisdom, provision, resources? And the Holy Spirit will show you. That's what he does. He just shows you specifically that fear that self-rejection, that inferiority, some of it's self-imposed, some of it's coming from other places. But I just want to break that. He wants to just break that off our life to put you into a no-fear zone. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. That's what I want to do. If you're here and you just, let's just, this is the best place. If we can't be vulnerable and open here, then there is no, there is no place. This is it. If you're here and you know, boy, I've got one of those places. I do. I can see it. That self-rejection, that, that fear that just seems to dominate and control and I act it out. If that's you and the Holy Spirit's showing that to you, would you raise your hand? Just raise your hand while you're here. Okay. Okay, I'll tell you what. Those that are raising their hand, just stand up for a minute. I'm going to pray for you. Just stand up. If you raise your hand, just stand to your feet. We're going to pray for you. And I'm going to ask some of our leaders just to walk around and just quickly put your hands on them. God really does something through the laying out of hands and there's a real impartation. But right now, I want you to see yourself... See, it's according to faith, and God uses your imagination. It's not in your feelings. It's not about do I feel it. It's in your mind's eye. You see it. I want you to see that situation, what it is. And I want you just now, just I'm giving this to you, Jesus. This is a lie. This is not who I am. It might be what I did. It might be what was done to me, but this is not who I am. To act like that, to just be a survivor, to be treated like that. I'm a thriver. It is good to be me. I am the apex of God's creation. The blood of Jesus was spilt just for me. So just give that to him right now. And, and God's going to replace it with a different narrative, with a different story, with a different declaration, with a, with a different picture as he sees you from heaven. It's beautiful in elevation, victorious, delivered, free, powerful, full of grace, a capacity to release the fruits of the Spirit like Jesus himself walked in. You don't have a, a junior Holy Spirit. You don't have a lesser anointing than Jesus had. It's the same Holy Spirit. Father, right now, <clears throat> the fear, the self-rejection, the uh, in, spirit of inferiority that just lies to them, hounds their minds, oppresses their soul. I rebuke now, now, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, the breath of heaven just blowing out all that rubbish, all that stink, all that lie, all that stifling deception. Right now, we blow it away. Freedom from that fear. Freedom from fear. There is no fear in love. But right now, perfect love casting out every bit, every bit, every bit, every bit, every bit, every bit. To be the powerful, amazing, God-filled, spirit-led child of the living God. Right now, right now, right now, right now. Ha, 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 ha. I want us all to stand together. Let's all stand together. Let's all stand. I'm going to do one last thing. I did this. I think I did it. Yeah, I did, I did it in the first service. I'm going to do it here. Let me tell you something. Think about the commandment where Jesus says, love, one, uh, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. But I'll tell you what, we're not doing a real good job of loving ourselves if we think we're just lucky mud that clawed our way out of the primordial soup. We are the glory of God. You are not just what God uses in the earth. You, who, you are who he is in the earth. Yeah. You are not just a tool in God's hands. You are God's hand, the body of Christ. And so now we got to start. Faith is simply acting like you have what you've asked for. That's what faith is. Simple. Faith is simple. Act like you have what you believe. So look up at me, okay, everybody? And I'm, you're going to say this. 
You're going to say, it is good to be, not Bill, but I'm going to say Bill. You're going to say your name. It is good to be Carol. It is good to be Morris. It is good to be Andrew. And I want you to say it several times on the count of three. One, two, three. It is good to be Bill. Again, it is good to be Bill. It is good to be Bill. It is good to be Bill. It is good because you are the fearfully, wonderfully made person, the apex of his creation, a one-of-a-kind manifest, a masterpiece that will reflect his glory everywhere in Jesus' name. Be those gems, those jewels, those, the riches of heaven everywhere. That's who you are. In fact, I saw this. I saw, it was really strange. I saw this for you guys, and I see it for, this, I, I see it for you and for this congregation. When, the, when, the, when I see this drill rigging come up, and it's going into the ground, and, it, it, man, it hits the mother load, you know what comes spewing out? Gems. 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 I see all these incredible sapphires and rubies and diamonds and, and, and emeralds and names I can't pronounce. Seriously, I see that. I see God has given you a drilling rig to, to unlock the wells of the gems. And 1 Peter 2 says we come to him as living stones, rejected by men, but choice and precious in God's sight. And that's what you're called to do. And see, you know, I, I, I need to think probably about this more, but I, I, I know this is true in the sense that we... We value water and oil for what it does, but we value gems for what they are. It's true. We value water and oil because of what it does, but we value gems because of what they are. Their beauty, their rarity, their clarity, their precision, their diversity, right? Yeah? That's God's people, and that's what you're called to do. You're called to absolutely release the wellsprings of who they are. Yeah, that's the wells that have been capped by religion and humanism. Religion and humanism has capped the wells, the riches of who you are and whose you are. And that's what you're called to do. I just see that. I just see the, those wells, those gems just being released, incredible diversity and, and richness. I, I hear wealth. And I'm not just talking about spiritually. I really do. I see, I, you know, and you, God wants you to do a word. God wants you to really dig into it in Scripture because this is a, a word for you. And God's going to release so much more through this prophetic word as you begin to dig in the word. Let the Holy Spirit really define that for you. But I see wealth being released. 